If you have your Bibles, could you please turn to, scroll to, flip to, press Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. You're wondering where Romans is. It's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. And we're looking at Romans chapter 12 today. Before we read that together, let me tell you that right now we are doing a series which happens to also be the same name as the theme for our new year here at Thrive Church. The name of that series and the name of that theme is New Heart, New Horizons. Everyone say New Heart, New Horizons. It's because we absolutely believe that this coming year, God has new horizons for you, for us as a church family together, and for you personally. We believe God has new horizons for you, whether it's in your relationships or in the way that you view your career or the way you serve others and make an impact. We believe that God has new horizons for you and for me. Maybe there's a new horizon already for you. Maybe you've started a new job. Maybe you know, you're, you're welcoming a new member of your family. Maybe you're getting married. It's a new kind of scary horizon for you, but it's exciting. How many know that when there's a new horizon up ahead, the best the best way you can get ready for that new horizon is have a renewed heart. Because how many of you know that the condition of your heart impacts the, the limit of your horizon? And that's why we're doing a series here called New Heart, New Horizons. How do you get a new heart for a new horizon? That's what we're talking about in the series. And see, let me just begin with a, a little story today. You know, a few weeks ago, my wife and I, we had an opportunity to take our two sons, Bradley and Caleb, to a restaurant right by the water. They're really young, and so we decided to go for a walk, and we ended up at the store that had a lot of these toy airplanes, and uh, they got really excited, and so we just thought we'd treat them, and so I got Caleb this you know, rubber uh, seaplane, and he started to you know, play around with that, and for my older son, Bradley, nine years old, we got him, uh, he loves eight paper airplanes, and so we got him this plane that's not like a, not paper, it's wooden, but you kind of build it, and you're supposed to fly it, and you can kind of fly it a bunch of different times and all that stuff. And so we got home. He was, Bradley was really excited to, to try his new plane. He opens up the box. He sets it up, and he, he builds it just exactly according to the instructions. And then guess what happens? He decides to fly it for the first time and we couldn't use it again. <laughs> You're allowed to laugh at that if you want. Uh, but the thing is this, is that what do we do? Uh, you know, thankfully, he, he was a good sport about it. We picked up the pieces. We went back to the store. We said, hey, we just flew this once and it broke. Uh, what can you do about it? Oh, oh, can, oh so I'm so sorry. Can we offer you a new one? And see, why do I mention that? It's because of this. Don't you wish that getting a new heart for a new horizon was that easy? That when your heart is not working the way that it should, when your heart is even broken, you can just take it back to where you got it from and you can just immediately get a brand new heart. Don't you wish it was that easy? Well, unfortunately, that process of getting a new heart is not always that easy. But the, 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 the fact is that getting a new heart takes time. It takes work. It's not automatic. But also what you need to know is that you're not alone in that process of getting a new heart for a new horizon. The fact is that whether you know it or not, God is in the business of leading people to a new heart. And if you would learn to work with God on that process of getting to a new heart, if you would cooperate with him on the steps that God wants you to take, you will experience a new heart for a new horizon. And that's why we're talking in this series about how do you get to a new heart with God. And today I'm here so excited to bring to you a message as part of our series, New Heart, New Horizons, that I believe could be a very significant message for many of you today. In fact, it could be one of the most significant messages you hear all year. And so I hope you take some good notes today. I hope you listen well, because today the message I'm here to share with you is called Out of the Rut, into the truth, out of the rut, into the truth. 
Let's look at Romans 12, verse 2. And I want you to get your Bibles open and get ready to highlight or underline something together right now. All right, let's, t- let's look at together. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Read with me in a big, loud voice. What does it say? It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you just underline a few words with me right now, highlight them? The words are transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, it's this idea that if you want to be able to test and approve and know what God's will for your life is, what that next horizon is, it begins first with having a renewed mind. And see, for centuries, you know, people have believed that the brain doesn't change, that the brain is static, that once you go out of childhood, out of adolescence, and you become an adult, that your brain basically stays the same the whole way through until you die. That's that's what a lot of people believed about the brain, is that the brain is static. But see, over the past recent years, neuroscientists, people who study the brain, have discovered that actually the brain doesn't stay the same over your lifetime. Your brain actually changes. It actually redesigns itself over time based on the things that you experience in life, the things that you do, even the things that you say. And they call this neuroplasticity. It's like just as how plastic is malleable, how you can you know, shape it and form it and bend it in ways that, you, like, you know, that, that form different things. So your brain has a neuroplasticity, is that your brain has this amazing ability to change and redesign itself over time. Now, if you're wondering, what does this have anything to do with New Heart, New Horizons? Let me explain. It's that you gotta understand that the biblical concept of the heart has so much to do with your mind and your brain is that the biblical concept of heart is not just kind of what we think of when we think of heart, like, you know, emoji, heart shape, this is how I feel. But see, the understanding, the biblical understanding of heart involves so much more. It's not just your emotional center. It's also your mind. It's your intellect. It's your values. It's the way you make decisions, how you process stuff. It's your inner being. It's the core of who you are. When the Bible ever talks about the heart, that's what it's talking about. And see, that's why there's a very strong linkage between your heart and your mind. And whenever the Bible talks about heart, So often, it talks about the mind at the same time, almost as if they were interchangeable. Look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10 with me right now. What does it say? Read with me in a loud voice. It says, I, the Lord, who search the heart and examine the mind. There you go. It's the heart and the mind, you know, working together, a link that you can't really separate. First Chronicles 28, verse 9, this is David saying to his son Solomon, it says, serve God with a loyal heart and a willing mind. It's that link between your heart and your mind. And so when Romans 12 verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, in many ways it's talking about how can you have a new heart? And we're going to talk about that today. See, what neuroscientists have just only been recently discovering about how the brain changes over time, how you can actually rewire your brain, how your brain has this neuroplasticity. Actually, the Bible has been suggesting for thousands of years, the idea that your mind can be renewed. It doesn't always have to stay the same. Now, this is especially good news for those of us who find ourselves often stuck in very old, unhealthy ways of thinking and feeling and behaving. And in this message today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at how you and I can get out of old, unhealthy patterns of thinking and feeling and the language of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we can experience transformation by the renewing of our mind and therefore get to a new heart and a new horizon. This message is called Out of the Rut into the Truth. Let me just start with defining what we mean by a rut, because a rut actually has many different definitions. We're just going to look at three definitions right now, just so we're all in 
the same page. I'm gonna give you three definitions. We're gonna unpack a couple of them, and so don't panic if you find that the slides are going very, very fast. But here are a few definitions for what a rut is. Are you guys ready? Number one, a rut is a long, deep path in the ground made by vehicles passing through the same area again and again. All right, it's a long, deep path made by wheels of vehicles that are going over the same path over and over again until there's a long, deep path in the ground. That is the first definition of a rut. Here's a second definition of a rut. A second definition of a rut is a pattern of thinking or behaving that is unproductive and difficult to change. A pattern of thinking or behaving that is unproductive and difficult to change. That's the second definition of a rut. Here's a third definition of a rut, uh, which is uh, the rut is actually also the mating season of deer, camels, and other mammals. All right? We're not going to focus on that third one today for obvious reasons, but we, we are, we're going to focus on the first two because these first two definitions are actually quite helpful in us trying to understand what happens in our brain whenever we go through a tough time. See, let's look at the first definition of a rut. The first definition is a long, deep path in the ground made by vehicles passing through the same area again and again. My younger son, Caleb, he's three years old, and he loves trucks. He can tell you the names of so many trucks that I couldn't name myself because he just loves trucks so much. And one of, the, one of his favorite things to do with me is he loves it when I pick him up and we'll just look out the window and just look at cars. He loves that. And there's one time when it was a really heavy snow day. Snowfall, snow was falling big time. It was early in the morning, so you're seeing the snow accumulate on this road, fresh snow, and there wasn't a single car that had gone through the road until a few minutes later after we started watching, all of a sudden the big truck goes along the road and it goes through the snow. And when the, the, when the truck goes by, all of a sudden you see a path made by its tires. And a couple minutes later, another car came by, and because that car didn't want to maneuver around new snow or slip and slide on the ice, that car decided, oh, I'm going to go on that same path that was made for me. And then a third car came and did the same thing, went on those same tracks. A few minutes later, a fourth car, and then a fifth car, and a sixth car. They came over and over and over on the same path to the point where after just maybe 10 minutes, there was a very defined path or what's called a rut in the road where you could see more and more this increasingly defined path in the road. They say that in Alaska, where it snows a lot more than it does here in Vancouver, that ruts can get really deep, really long, and kind of dangerous as well, is that they say that where it snows very much in Alaska, that you can sometimes do this, is you're driving in Alaska, and if you hit a rut and your wheels set into a rut, you can actually let go of the steering wheel, keep your foot on the gas, and the car will actually just follow the rut wherever it goes for hours and hours. In fact, there was, a, 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 like a legend has it, that there was a sign on the highway of one of the parts of Alaska that says, be careful what rut you choose, you'll be in it for the next 60 miles. And see, it's this idea that it's a rut, it's a path that is made by something going over it and over it and over again. That's the first definition of a rut. Here's a second definition of a rut, is that it's a pattern of thinking or behaving that is unproductive and difficult to change. See, last week I shared with you about how when my wife and I first got married, we made a big decision, which was to move from Canada, where I grew up, to Taiwan, which is a completely new country for me. And I had to adjust to a new culture, a new country, a new climate, a new language, new customs, and it was a tough time for me. And I, I, I was, it, was, it was one of those things where I couldn't speak the language, and I didn't really know what I was doing. And you know, if you ever moved to another country before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know, my response after a while to all the different inconveniences and misunderstandings and you know, the just frustrations I was dealing with was to complain a lot. I complained so much in those first few months that we moved to Taiwan. And it was one of those things where I just complained and complained and complained 
whenever there was a frustrating thing that happened, I'd complain about that. When something didn't go as I expected, I'd complain about that. I'd fallen into a rut, a pattern of thinking that was unhealthy and difficult to change. Now, if you were looking at me back at that time, many, many years ago when I was in Taiwan, I was complaining a lot. You might say, well, yeah, JB's just having a rough, rough time with it right now. Or, you know, JB's just not feeling very well emotionally. But there's more to it than that. See, something was going on in my brain during that time when I was complaining so much. Let me illustrate it to you this way. You see, this is my brain, all right? You can see uh, our best effort at you know, drawing a brain. I know it kind of looks like a gyoza, but this is uh, my effort to, to draw a brain. Uh, and you know, this is my brain, empty as usual, right here. So, so this is my brain. And I, I want you to tell this, is that according to neuroscientists, people who study the brain, they say that whenever you learn anything new for the first time, something happens in your brain. That in your brain, what is formed is what's called a neural pathway. A neural pathway. We're using chalk today. Neural pathway. And what a neural pathway is, is that it's a connection between neurons in your brain that helps you to do something faster and faster the more times that you do it. And so when you learn a new word, or you learn a new exercise, like you know, throwing a frisbee or shooting a free throw, or you experience something new in life, a neural pathway is formed in your brain, and it's almost like a new set of tracks that is formed by a car going through a fresh batch of snow. Is that that's, those tracks are created. It's not very defined, it's not very strong, it's not very deep, but that path is created. But the more you travel down that path, the more you keep using that word or doing that exercise or reliving that experience in your life, the wider, the deeper, the stronger, and the more defined that path becomes to the point where it can become second nature to you, to the point where it can become something that is almost automatic to you. And see, God gave us neural pathways for a reason. It's our gift. It's, it's God's gift to us. Is that so that we can function well, you know, you, know, you know, do things efficiently and live in this world? But what happens when our unhealthy ways of thinking become our strongest neural pathways? See, look, look, look at what was happening to me in Taiwan. Is that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm in Taiwan, I'm experiencing all these new things, and for the first time I decide to complain. And oh my goodness, my life sucks. Oh my goodness, why is life so, so hard? Why does it have to be this way? Can we just go back to Vancouver? And, you know, and I'm starting to complain. And at that time, you know, it felt a little bit unfamiliar to me because I'm not really used to complaining that way. And I start to, start to speak up that way. On that very first day, that neural pathway was formed. It wasn't very strong, but the more I practiced complaining, the more I complained about situation after situation in my life, the easier this became. To the point where this neural path was getting stronger and stronger and stronger, to the point where it became very easy for me to just default to complaining. It was becoming a neural pathway, one of the strongest ones in my life. And in the words we're talking about, it became a rut in my brain, where all of a sudden, second nature, automatically, I would resort to complaining whenever I experienced something that was out of my control. And see, my question for you today, is, are you in a rut today? See, what I experienced was what we call a rut. It's a path that I've created, a neural path that I've created in my own brain, and it's also an unhealthy pattern of thinking and feeling that I am doing. How about you? Is there a rut in your brain? You know, for example, is there an unhealthy, unproductive way of thinking that you have practiced so much that now 
physiologically in your brain, you've actually created a strong neural pathway for it, such that it's now the thing that you go to. It's now your built-in response to certain trigger situations in your life. See, for example, maybe growing up, Food was always, you know, kind of the answer to any problem. You know, when you were a baby, uh, what did they do? They gave you a bottle. You know, when you got older, anytime you were disappointed, you were given maybe ice cream or you went for a bubble tea. And then now, because you're so used to that, is that even nowadays, when, without even thinking, when you experience anything stressful, the first thing you think is, where can I get a bag of chips? Or where can I go to that cookie right now? What's going on? Is that you've created a strong neural pathway in your brain that associates comfort with food. And now, whenever you're stressed, eating something is your built-in response to that problem. That is a rut in your brain. You know, another one is maybe you grew up experiencing a lot of rejection in your lifetime. Is that maybe in elementary school, you didn't make it onto the team that you tried really hard to get on and you're really disappointed. Maybe your friend sided with someone else and you felt betrayed. Maybe in high school later on, no one asked you to the dance. Maybe later on, your parents separated and divorced and you think to yourself, man, why do bad things always happen to me? It's like the story of my life. And when you look back at these different experiences, you start to weave uh, and make up a story about your life for yourself that goes something like, you know, I am, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a victim. You know, life is unfair. You know, it's always this way for me. Nothing ever goes my way. That's the story of my life. And see, what happens is that there's now this neural pathway that you've created over and over through these different experiences that makes you think that way, that I'm a victim, that life is not fair, that life is hopeless, that, you know, I'm unlovable, you know, nothing ever goes right for me. And any time in the future when you experience something unexpected or something disappointing, you kind of, you, you use that filter to, to, to understand your experience. Oh, it's always this way. Again, the story of my life. And, and then, for example, next time you go to a party and you, you, you experience, you know, people not being as friendly to you as you'd like, or you go to, you're in church, and you try to greet someone, but they don't really greet you back, and, and you're kind of, what's that, what's up with that? You know what? They're like, oh man, story of my life. That's just my life. What's that? That's not just you feeling bad. That's a neural pathway at work in your brain. And see what happened? You created a strong neural pathway in your brain where your built-in response is to think life is so unfair. That's a rut in your brain. See, maybe when you were younger, when there was trouble or conflict at home, your escape was the mall. You'd be like, okay, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to the mall. And then maybe one time, just to kind of comfort yourself, you bought yourself something. And when you bought that thing, even though it was a kind of a superficial thing, you just felt really good about it. You felt like a little bit of a high, a little bit of a thrill, a bit of a release. And what, what was going on in your brain? That your brain was releasing something, a chemical called dopamine. Maybe you've heard of that before. Dopamine is like the feel-good chemical that the brain produces, which says, oh, that felt good. Do that again. Oh, that felt good. Let's try that again. It produced something in your brain called dopamine, and it made you want to you know, build that habit even more. So whenever you're stressed, you go back to the mall. You maybe go to a different store. You buy something even more expensive. You're like, oh, that felt really good. Maybe not as good as the first time, but so let me buy something else. And you, you maybe go online, you buy, and you can almost track the ups and downs of your life just by looking at your bank statement. And what is that? That is a rut in our brain. You formed a neural pathway in your brain that thinks, are you stressed? Go buy something. Are you stressed? Make a purchase. And see, that's a rut in our brain. Or maybe for you, this is one of those things where one day you were feeling kind of empty and bored and you, know, you maybe finished a day of work and you're kind of tired and you're on your screen, you're on your phone, you're on your computer and you stumble upon some photos of people not wearing very much clothing and it was like, oh man, and it kind of piqued your interest. You're like, wow, oh, that's interesting. All right, oh, let, let, let me keep looking. Oh, oh wow. 
Oh, wow. And, and you know what? You, you experience that dopamine high, and then you keep searching a little bit more, and then you stop. The next day when you're really stressed, you're like, what, let, you know, how can I get some kind of release? Well, you know what? Let, let's go back to that same site. You go back on the same site. And now the, the high from the dopamine is not as big, so you, you start searching for a little bit more, a little bit more. Now it's not little clothing. Now it's no clothing. Now it's not just no clothing. Now it's just like it's actual sex. And, and, and now, now you're looking at different videos that, that, that you, you know, probably don't want other people to know about, and so you, know, you, 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 you kind of hide it on your own. But then, you know, you also find yourself at the same time, you're trying to get out of stuff so you can spend time doing this. And, and what, what's going on is that you've created in your brain a neural pathway that thinks my escape is porn. My salvation is porn. And see, it's, it's one of those things. What is going on in your brain while all this is happening? Your brain is starting to think, okay, food is my comfort. Shopping is my answer. My life is unfair. Life is meaningless. Porn is my escape. What is that? That is called a rut in your brain. And see, maybe it's one of those things where when you go to church and you hear a hopeful message, you, you're at first, first couple hours, you feel great. You're like, oh man, yeah, yes, praise God, the best is yet to come. But then why is it that I go back home and I just feel crappy all over again? I feel depressed all over again. I feel the need to eat all over again. I feel the need to complain all over again. You know, I feel like life is meaningless all over again. Why? Is it because God is not there? Is it because God doesn't exist? Is it because God's word is not powerful? The hope that we have in Jesus isn't real? No, it's none of those reasons. You know why? It's very simple. It's because you've created a neural pathway in your brain where it's about looking to something else for satisfaction or the, a, a neural pathway in your brain that thinks life is so meaningless. And it's such a strong neural pathway that it's actually stronger than any other pathway that talks about look to God for hope. And see, what is that? It's what's happening in our brain. That is a rut in our brain. Here's a question for you today. What is your rut? Because the fact is we all have ruts in our brain. The good news is this though. You don't need to stay stuck in your rut. God has made a way for us to get unstuck, to get out of the rut and into the truth. Look at Romans 12, verse two, once again, read it with me loud voice. What does it say? It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, what's it saying? It's saying basically that your mind is not set in stone. It doesn't have to be. Our brains are not fixed. Just as we can wire our brains to think unhealthy, destructive thoughts, we can also, with God's help, rewire our brains to think healthy, positive thoughts as well. And when you think about something differently than you used to, you think about something differently for the first time, or you choose a different way to respond to a problem, you know what happens? Is that you form a different and new neural pathway. And the more you practice that new way of dealing with the problem, that new way of thinking, that new way of living, that new way of approaching that issue, the more you do that, the stronger this pathway becomes. And the less you use the old pathway, the weaker the old pathway becomes, such that over time, what can now become your more and more second nature automatic response wasn't the old way, it's the new way. It's because God has given us the ability to rewire our brain, i.e. renewing our mind. Amen. And see, here's the thing, is, you know, this is what neuroscientists call neuroplasticity. It's what the Bible calls renewing your mind. It's about rewiring your brain, renewing your mind. How do you do that? How do you get out of the rut that is in your brain and my brain? Well, here's how you do it. You replace it with the truth. Let me say it again. You got a rut in your brain? The way that we get out of the rut is we replace the rut with the truth. We replace the rut we've created 
with the truth of God that sets us free. See, ruts keep us in bondage, but God's truth sets us free. Let me end today by sharing with you just two examples from my own life where I was in a big rut, and I believe that by God's truth, I was able to get out of that rut by his grace and by his power in my life. You know, I talked about Taiwan and how it was a tough time, especially the, that first time when we moved to that new country for me. And there was a strong, strong neural pathway toward complaining in my life, where every big thing and small thing that bothered me, I just complained about it. I stressed myself, I stressed my wife out as well because of that. And it was just a really depressing time, a really tough time in life. And it, the turning point for me was when there was a pastor in my life who said this thing that I can still remember. He said, every day, just find one thing to be thankful for, JB. Every day, just find one thing to be thankful for. And see, I thought, you know, I got nothing, I might as well try that. And at first it was really tough because I built such a strong neural pathway toward complaining and blaming that that was like my built-in response. I had to now carve out a new path in my brain. And so at first it was something, find something to be thankful for, what's there to be thankful for? But the more I started to give thanks to God, the more I said, okay, you know what? First Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna try to replace the lie that my life sucks with the truth that there's always something to be thankful for. And so I'm like, okay, you know, find something to be thankful for, find something to be thankful for. And the more I practiced this new habit of thanking God instead of complaining, the more I started to build a new neural pathway in my life, such that what happened was that no longer was I automatically complaining, but more and more, and I'm still working on this to this day, that more and more my position, my, 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 my response was, what's there to be thankful for here? Problem, instead of complaining, let's thank God for something. And see, I, we're, I'm still working on this today, maybe you are as well, but you know, it, it's something that's helped me all, all the way till now. You know, in fact, we have a saying here at Thrive, we've got lots of different sayings here at Thrive. You know, like, well, some of the sayings that, that we often use here at Thrive is stuff like, uh, you know, what, what do we say? We say stuff like, welcoming is not just what we do, it's who we are, right? Uh, we say stuff like, you know, uh, you know when, you feast, when you seek God's kingdom first, he adds what? He adds everything we need. You know, we say, you know, much prayer, much power. We see all these different things. But, you know, there, there's one phrase that we've been using longer than any of those, uh, those other ones, and that phrase is, the best is yet to come. And see, I, I got to confess to you, the, the way that that became such a part of our lingo here at Thrive wasn't something where, okay, we all planned it out. We had it you know, all you know, mapped out. Okay, we're going to make the best is yet to come, like the Thrive saying. This is what we're going to all say from now on because this is just what we're going to say. And we planned out. No, it actually happened really organically. It's where we'd be leading on the stage and we don't know really even what else to say, but just, just based on our habits and based on you know, God's word, we just say, you know what? Praise God because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose again from the grave. The best is yet to come. Amen? And, and see, what is that? That is, a, that, that is something where when you, you know, when you start to go over the same road over and over and over, more and more, it becomes a neural pathway that is stronger in your life. That's one example in my life. Still working on to this day, but I, I can certainly say that that really helped me. Another one is this, is when I was a kid, I was used to getting a lot of positive affirmation from people at home, you know, my extended family. I remember in grade six, I went to a new school and you know everything was new and i remember at the end of the very first term of school we had a school assembly and they were giving out these end of term awards and for some reason i think grade six they called up my name They're like, oh jb lim and then i came up and 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 they gave me a certificate and i still remember what the certificate said it said general effort which i think means just i i gave effort generally i guess and I'm, I'm really sure and and i wasn't the only one to get it so it wasn't that big of a deal but for some reason when i got that certificate it felt really good 
And I thought to myself, I want to feel this way again. And so the next term, I worked even harder to get more awards and all that stuff. And you know what? Throughout high school, that's kind of the thing where, you know, like, you, know, you just kind of, you, you, don't, you don't obsess about it. But in the back of your mind, there's almost that part of you that just wants to accomplish a lot of stuff. You want a lot of certificates. You want, a, you want these awards. You want different things. You want these things to, to put on your resume, all that stuff. And, and, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, down the road, fast forward all the way till just a few months ago in the thick of COVID-19 when we're doing only online services, exclusively online. We're not meeting on site during that time. And that time is a very silent time. Uh, and you know, it's, you know, when, when, you're, when you're leading a service that's totally online, I don't know if you knew how this feels, but when, when, when you lead a service that's totally online and you finish the service, you know, there, there's no dialogue, there's no, there's no kind of conversations after, and so you have no idea how it went. You're just kind of like, okay, I hope that helped. Uh, I hope that made a difference. I, I'm not really sure. And, and, and you know, after a while, because of the silence, I started to convince myself of something. You know, over time, after every service, I'd start to think to myself, you know what, oh, that didn't make a difference. Oh, that, that, that didn't mean anything. Oh, and, and I start to even internalize, oh, no one appreciates what I do. Oh, no one, everyone takes me for granted. And, and you know, it, all of a sudden, I start to say that more and more in my mind to myself, that it became a neural pathway that I was almost defaulting to after each service. And to the point where, you know, one day, I'm listening to a podcast by a pastor that I respect, and, and as I'm listening to this podcast, I realized that I had actually created a rut in my brain where my default position, my automatic response whenever you know, you know, I experienced silence was to think the worst. And think, oh, no one appreciates me. And, all that stuff. and you know, I said, you know, something needs to change. Something needs to change. And you know, pursuant to some advice from that podcast, I decided, you know what, I need to go home and I need to think this one through. And what I did is I, I wrote down on a card a statement that I thought I needed to remember to fight some of the lies that had got me into that rut in the first place. And whereas, you know, the lie that I'd started to believe is, oh, no one appreciates what I do, this doesn't make a difference. You know, when I would start to do that, I, I, I put down on this card a statement that I believe was the statement of what is true, and I wrote this down. I said, what I do matters to God, and what God thinks matters more than anything. Amen. What I do matters to God and what God thinks matters more than anything. Don't get me wrong. You know, people don't go into pastoring to get the recognition. That's the wrong place to do it. But it's one of those things where because of the silence, I started to feel like, oh, you know, does this even matter and all that stuff. And, and you know what? I had to remind myself that what I do matters to God and what God thinks matters more than anything. And what is happening is that every time I was tempted by the silence to think, oh, this didn't make a difference, I'd say to myself, what I do matters to God, and what God thinks matters more than anything. And you know, I put it on different cards. You know, I, I put it on four different cards, and I put one right beside my steering wheel, I put one uh, right beside, you know, the, the, like the, the, I guess the desk where I work so I can see it whether I want to or not. I put it on my phone. In fact, you can still see it's, it's kind of ripped off now, but like the, there's still tape from where I taped it on my phone. You know, I, I put it on the wall where I pray. And so it's just that kind of whether I wanted to or not, I was seeing that. I was being exposed to that truth. And, and you know what happened? You know what? My mind started to change such that over time, very gradually, the more and more I, I, I declared that in my life, the less I felt the pull to say, oh, no one appreciates me. Oh, no one takes me. Oh, this is making a difference. It, it was all of a sudden, my new automatic response was to say, what I do matters to God, and what God thinks matters more than anything. And what God says means so much more than what anyone else could possibly say. Amen. 
And see, what happened was God was replacing the lie that I believed, that no one cares, no one all that, to with the truth that there is someone who cares. And it's not just God who cares, but I would be a fool if I had to be really kind of, you know, you know candid about, I would be a fool to think that my church doesn't care. Because the fact is that so many of you do. And just the way that you guys, you know, reach out to me and love me and encourage me is one of those things where I consider myself the luckiest pastor in the world because I get to be part of this spiritual family. Oh, come on, give God a big hand in this place right now. Praise God. And see, see, this is the thing. What's going on is that I had to learn to replace a lie that had gotten me into my rut with the truth of God in my life. How about you? What rut are you in today? Is there a rut that you often end up defaulting to? See, I believe that God didn't make you to stay in the rut. God made you to get out of the rut and into the truth. Romans 12 verse two says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, if you want to experience a new heart for a new horizon, and you want to experience being transformed by the renewing of your mind, let me just end by four things that you and I can do right now. You can write this down if you find it helpful. Number one, realize that your thoughts matter. Turn to your neighbor and say, your thoughts matter. Your thoughts matter. The way you think matters. In fact, this is how Proverbs 23, verse 7 says it. It says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What does that mean? It means that your direction in life will be determined by the thoughts that you think. Your direction in life will be determined by the way that you think. In fact, I like this saying, which is your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so you might hear that, oh, God loves you on a Sunday or on a weekend. But if Monday to Friday, you are constantly telling yourself, I'm unlovable. Life is so unfair. My life is meaningless. My life is worth nothing. I'm ugly. I'm worthless. Then you know what? You know what's going to determine your life? You know what's going to drive your life? It's not that once a week message that you hear. It's the everyday message that you tell yourself. It's because your life always moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Realize that your thoughts matter. Number two, realize that your brain is not fixed. Realize that your current way of thinking doesn't need to be your permanent way of thinking, that your thinking can change, that God, by his grace, has given us the power to rewire our brains. With God's help, you and I, we can create new pathways, new ways of dealing with things. And the words of Romans 12 is we can have our minds renewed. That's the second thing. Realize your brain is not fixed. Turn to him and say, it ain't fixed. It ain't fixed. It ain't static. You can, you can, you've got neuroplasticity. You've got the ability by God to rewire your brain if you would work and cooperate with him. Number three, recognize your rut. This is the main one for us today. Is that if you want a new heart for a new horizon, you ought to first recognize what brain rut are you suffering from? It's because until you deal with that rut, until you identify that rut and you're able to deal with that rut, you're never going to get to that new heart and that new horizon. You first need to identify it, recognize it, and then deal with it in a way. And, and see, that, that's why Pastor Craig Rochelle says this, you can't defeat an enemy that you can't define. If you don't know what your rut is, then you're, 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 that's the first thing you need to figure out. What is that rut? And so my question for you is, what is your rut? What is that recurring unhealthy pattern of thought that you keep defaulting to? And when you, when your wheels get into that track, you're there for a very, very long time. You know, what is that negative, destructive, damaging way that you often find yourself thinking and sometimes even saying out loud to yourself? Maybe it's that you, you saying stuff like, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't have what it takes. You know, it's like, or I'm going to fail. 
I'm a failure. You know, I'm never going to find someone to marry. You know, my future is hopeless. It's never going to work. You know, nothing good ever lasts. Maybe your rut is worry. Is that whenever there's an uncertainty in your life, your default position is not, okay, God, I trust you the best yet to come. But rather, your default position is to worry and to stress out and to panic and to blame. And, and, it's just, and, and you just become this worry wart and, and, and because that is your rut. Maybe your rut is resentment is that whenever you think about someone in your life who hurt you in the past, you have like this inner rage that you find like it's, it's like a rut. It almost has a life of its own. You start going on this path. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't even believe like where I'm going on that. You know, maybe your rut is something like procrastination or giving up easily. Is that the moment something gets stressful, you go, oh no, I, I don't want any part of it. I, I'm, I'm gone, I'm gone. Or you're on your phone for hours and hours just to avoid doing what you need to do. See, if you can, I want to encourage you to try to identify the source of the rut. Like, how did that rut even come up in the first place? How did that thinking start? But even if you can't identify where it came from in the first place, it's important to recognize, yeah, that's the rut. And I would encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you identify what that rut is in your life. If you're having trouble, you might even want to ask a friend, someone safe who knows you well, who loves you, who can help you identify what that rut is. Romans 12 verse 3 says this. It says, Read it with me, it says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In other words, if you want to have a new heart for a new horizon, you need to look at yourself soberly and say, okay, what is the rut that's in my life today? I need to deal with that rut, otherwise something's gonna happen to me, something's gonna happen to the people around me that is not healthy. And so I wanna deal with that. That's the, that's the thing we're focused on today, recognize your rut. But number four, Replace the rut with God's truth. See, I've shared with you in my own journey about how God's truth helped me get out of certain ruts in my life. When my rut was all about complaining, that was my built-in default automatic position when I faced a problem, is that God turned me around and put a new truth in my life, which is give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that there's always something to be thankful for no matter what you're going through. And when, when I started to build that new neural pathway with God, that it led me to a new horizon. Or, you know, that rut that said, no, no one appreciates what I do. This isn't making a difference. God had to take me out of that rut. And how did he do it? He gave me the truth that what I do matters to God and what God thinks matters more than anything. And see, some of if, if you find yourself in a rut today, I'm here to let you know that God doesn't want you to stay in the rut. God didn't make you to be stuck in the rut. God made you to get out of the rut and into the truth. Next Sunday, we're gonna look at how you can replace the rut in your life with the truth of God. And I wanna encourage you to come back next week for this because you do not wanna miss this. In fact, this message is almost like a two-part message. Today we're talking about recognizing your rut. Next week we're gonna go in depth on how do you apply the truth to the rut so you can get out of the rut. And so if you found this helpful today, make sure you come back next week. But let me just end with one last verse, Psalm, verse, Psalm 40, verse two. Would you read it with me together right now? What does it say? It says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. You know, the, the guy who wrote the psalm wrote this centuries ago, thousands of years ago. But this same verse can describe the kind of process that God can get us through when we're stuck in a rut, is that he can lift you out of that pit. He can get you out of the mud and mire of that rut and set you on a new path, and set your feet on a rock and give you a firm place to stand. And you know, the biggest rut that you and I have ever had to deal with is a rut called sin. 
rut called sin. What is sin? Sin is that attitude and that propensity in us to want to do things our way, not God's way. Sin is when we say, God, to hell with what you think, I'm going to do things the way I think. And you know, sin is our choice to rebel against God. The Bible says all of us have sinned. In big ways, small ways, we've all done it. And the Bible says that because of our sin, we can't have anything to do with God because we've run away from God. We've separated ourselves from God. The Bible even says the wages of sin is death. In other words, because of our sin, we can't have anything to do with God. Not now, not later, not on earth, not in heaven. God is holy. We're not holy. God is perfect. We're not perfect. God is good. We have the ability to do good, but we often don't. And so we're just completely separated from God. Can't have anything to do with him. But the amazing, one-of-a-kind, only one-in-the-world message of the Bible is that when we couldn't reach God, God reached for us. That God loved us enough, said, I don't want to be away from you for eternity. I don't want to be apart from you because I love you. I made you. I want to do something about it. And so what did he do? He sent Jesus Christ to live the life that we couldn't live, to meet all of God's requirements. And then Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. The death that we were supposed to die, Jesus died in our place. And because of that, there's forgiveness of sins. Because of that, when we place our trust, not in what we do and how good we think we are and we give God our resume and look at all that I accomplished and say, that's why you should forgive me. No, it's that God sends, I sent Jesus Christ, the only perfect one, to die on the cross for you. And when we receive that, when we accept that, that's when we're forgiven of our sins and God not only forgives us, but he invites us into a relationship with him, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when you receive that, the Bible says you become a child of God, you become a citizen of heaven, you become a part of his family, and you have the hope of eternity that's stronger than death. And I'm here to tell you this, is that if you're here and you're kind of new to church, you're kind of like, you know, what, what's my next step here? I want to get out of my rut, but how do I do so? Can I tell you, you don't have to do this alone. This is not a one-person battle that you're fighting. God is here. He wants to help you fight that battle to get you out of the rut and into the truth. And the way you do that, the first step you take is to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. That's the first step. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins, I want to give you an opportunity to do that just now. It's really simple. It's about praying a simple prayer. It's not so much the words you speak as the attitude of your heart, but it's about asking God with a humble heart, God, would you forgive me of my sins? And I, I, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what he did on the cross for me. And if that's you and you realize you need to do that, we want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And when you have that in your life, you have the greatest friend to help you through this rut that you're going through to help you get out of the rut and into the truth. And so with that in mind, we're going to do this right now. This is not between you and your neighbor. This is between you and God. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God right now. And if you're here and you realize that you need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, then why don't you do this? Those who are on site, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you realize that you need uh, you know, to ask Jesus to forgive your sins, uh, online family, we're gonna get to you in just a minute, but if you, believe, if you realize that you need you know, Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and you wanna ask Jesus to do that, why don't you just do this? Why don't you lift your hand to God right now? It doesn't concern your neighbor, don't worry about them. This is between you and God. Would you lift it high? And what's gonna happen is one of our ushers will bring you a card with a prayer on it that you can pray. And we're gonna pray that prayer with you. Uh, we're not gonna embarrass you in any kind of way. We're gonna do this all together. Um, and so lift your hand high and ushers uh, hurry to those people who need that. Um, and uh, those who online, if you're here and you realize you need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, 
You can click the link that's in your chat room. You can scan the QR code that's on your screen. It's going to take you to the same prayer that our friends here have uh, on that card. And we're just going to do this together, all of us, on-site, online, uh, in the nursery, uh, and uh, in the balcony. You can do it all. And, and, and we're, we're just going to do this together right now. Is, uh, why don't you pray this prayer? In fact, let's all pray this out loud in support of those who are praying this prayer for the very first time. And why don't you pray this prayer with me right now as our way of asking Jesus Christ to forgive your sins. You can just say this. Say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, then according to God's word, the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You are a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You have a relationship now with God, not based on what you do, but what through Jesus Christ and what he did for you. And that is an amazing thing. In fact, can we give a big hand to those who prayed that prayer just now? So happy for you. Oh, come on. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout? Let's go together right now. That's amazing. And um, in fact, we got a, a gift to give to you just to encourage you in this new relationship with God. For those of you on site, if you got one of those cards or maybe even, even didn't get that card, but you prayed that prayer, what you can do is go to the Welcome Center. Uh, let them know that you prayed that prayer. Uh, give them the card if you got it. And they'll have that special gift for you to encourage you in your walk with God. Um, and uh, on top of that, we encourage you to keep coming to church. Because uh, every person, uh, every baby needs a family to grow up in. Uh, every, uh, you know, you know every, every child needs a family to belong to. We'd love to be your spiritual family. And uh, on top of that, we encourage you to consider getting baptized. Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. It's you simply saying, I know I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I thank Jesus for dying on the cross for my sins. Those of you online who pray that prayer, congratulations right now. Uh, that's amazing. There's a link at the bottom of the prayer page that you prayed uh, to the same gifts that we'd love to give to you right now. Praise God, uh, what an amazing Sunday we've had today, and the best is yet to come. And so with that in my home, I'll stand.